Thanks for tuning in to localjobnetwork.com radio, where you can find all of your favorite employment-related shows. I'm Katie Chesney, and you're listening to Management Decisions, a show where we bring in high-level executives from a wide collection of businesses to discuss what goes on at the top of the food chain. And today, we are discussing why your company shouldn't have employees, and we don't mean that in a literal sense. And joining us today, we have Eric Lowett, and he is the CEO of Nexus Global Advisors. So Eric, before we kind of dive into this, where did this concept come from of not having employees? And I, you know, I assume you don't mean this in a literal sense. Well, first, Katie, it's a pleasure to be here. So thank you for having me on your show. You know, it's, it's fascinating. Companies always have and will always have employees, mm-hmm. literally, figuratively, right, uh, metaphorically. But I had a very interesting conversation maybe about a year and a half ago with a CEO friend of mine who is talking about running an employee engagement survey in his company, and he got really high employee engagement scores, but yet he was losing lots of his best people, and he was so confused about why is that? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you already said your answer, which is that there's a distinction to be made between having an employee versus having a person who works at your company. And though it seems subtle, we'll get into it over the next little bit, I think it's a really powerful difference that we need to make between what's an employee versus who's the person behind the employee, because that's ultimately what companies want. They don't want employees to work nine to five. They want people who are committed to the success of the company and vice versa. Right. So kind of what I'm hearing you say, this kind of stems from a few questions and some of those being like, how do I get more out of my employees? How do I better engage my employees and how do I get them, my engagement scores to go up? So what do those questions kind of imply and why is that kind of like the starting point for this whole conversation around employees versus real people? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. So I think that what it implies is that companies are coming to a point where easy growth is no more. Mm -hmm. Companies have expanded into every country they can be in. We've got geopolitical risk around the world. We see in Iraq, we see it in China right now, Middle East. Easy growth is hard to come by now for companies. And so now instead of simply saying, gosh, let's just create more products, companies are coming to realize, you know what, we need to dig deeper. We need to figure out what matters to the people we serve. And one of the things that I help companies try to figure out is, well, hold on a second. You've got employees. Employees are also consumers. They're also influencers online. They're local community activists. They sit on local community planning boards. In a sense, while you have employees, what you really have is a representative slice of civil society, society that you serve as custom, for customers. So why don't you ask your employees, not as employees, but as customers, what they want? Or as influencers, what matters to them? And as you get into these deeper types of conversations, that's where you start to find new growth opportunities. Those opportunities that have always been right under your nose, but you've just never really thought deep enough to say, gosh, our employees can answer these types of questions for us as well. Right. And I really like how you said that it's really kind of under your nose because this is a kind of a topic that I've seen kind of crop up a little bit more recently, but it's not one that's always on the forefront of everyone's mind. And the cause of that, I think, may become in cause really people and employees to be demoralized and disengaged and open-minded to other employees. So can you kind of touch on that, you know, talk about why referring to your employees as employees and not really thinking them, thinking of them as people kind of causes those areas of discontent and demoralization? Yeah, nobody wants to be thought of as an employee. Nobody wants to be thought of as a random automaton, you know, a random number. You and I are people. We want people to respect us, to cherish us to say thank you for being part of our organization. Not merely, oh, we're going to write you a check, 
But in return, we expect you not only to be here nine to five, Monday through Friday, but you know, just like the US, average US worker does, we expect you to check your work email on nights and weekends, eight hours a week, you know, an off time. Mm-hmm. Right? Let me say that again, right? So you work nine to five, that's 40 hours. The average U.S. worker also checks his or her work email another eight hours on nights and weekends. You're working an extra day for your company as is, but your company isn't paying you more for it. So what we want is we want to be cherished. We want to be honored as people and not merely treated as numbers. So, well, our company's performance has been really poor this quarter. Therefore, we're going to cut employee benefits 10%. That doesn't get me excited to go into work. I don't know about you, but we're out of what I'd like (laughs) Yeah, right. Rather, what I'd like to hear is my company say to me, hey, yeah, you're an employee, but just as important, you're also a partner in our success. Mm-hmm. What could we be doing differently? Maybe we don't have the, the financial resources right now to pay you more, but what else can we be doing that makes you jazz to come into the office? And that's where that subtle but powerful difference between thinking about the people who work for you as employees versus thinking of the people who work for you as humans mm-hmm. comes into play. So what I'm kind of hearing you say, it's not always about just giving people more compensation. It's asking them, what do you think about this situation? And actually listening to them and taking into consideration what they say and maybe putting it into play. So as an employee, do you think that people really like think deep into this, you know, from the employee sense and think, you know, I'm just an employee. No one cares what I say or, you know, what I have going on. Or do you think that it's people just don't think about it and it's just something that is accepted because it's so ingrained in our society? Yeah, it's such a great question, right? Because it comes down to whether you, you're an optimist at heart or a pessimist at heart. Mm-hmm. Right? If you're an optimist at heart, you want to believe that every morning employees wake up with a purpose and they're going to work believing that by allocating the company's resources that they work for toward whatever purpose it is that they believe in, that they're achieving something far greater than merely receiving a paycheck for eight hours of work. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a pessimist, you say, well, all right, I've got to make the rent. I've got to make, you know, I've got to pay my bills. So you know what? I'm giving up on the whole concept of being happy at work. I'm giving up on the whole concept of being satisfied with my work. And instead, I'm just going to drag my carcass into work every day for eight hours, slog through the day, come home. Nobody wins in that case. There's mediocrity for you as the employee There's mediocrity in your performance, and there's mediocrity in terms of company morale. So it really comes down to whether you're an optimist or a pessimist. Yes. And, you know, one thing that you're really saying here is that just reading through the lines is that being an optimist or a pessimist, um, it kind of has an impact on, you know, your bottom line as an organization. If you have a bunch of pessimists as employees, you're not really going to get the best out of them that you could get out of them. So you really have to kind of take a look at it and see what is the value of thinking of them as an employee versus a real person. And as a real person, people wear many hats throughout the day. So what is the, really the value of recognizing that your employees are real people and then treating them accordingly? You know, we've talked about it's not just a paycheck, it's more. So what is that more? Yeah. And so the more is actually asking the people who work for you, otherwise you know, known as employees, what would you want from our company in terms of a new product we can offer? What types of local community um, you know, types of uh, challenges are you facing that you think our company can uniquely be able to solve? Essentially, what we're seeing here is a, ble- a bleeding or the blurring of the lines between the traditional relationship of a company as a company, an employee as an employee, and you've got a one-to-one relationship. Now we're at a point where because employees check their work email eight hours, nights, and weekends, they're already spending 
a lot of their personal time on their professional lives. Mm -hmm. But the opposite holds true, too. We go into the office while we're working eight, eight hours a day. You know, we get a personal phone call from our spouse all the time. A kid, you know, one of our children's, you know, sick at school. We got to go home and get them. So all of a sudden, what happens at work is we're also doing some of our personal life stuff, right? Because there's this greater, I wouldn't call it balance. I'd almost call it like work-life integration. Mm-hmm. What I'm looking for companies to do and what I'm starting to see from a stock performance perspective is that companies that understand that their employees are really people who wear multiple hats while they're in the office and they cherish those employees accordingly, those companies outperform the competition on average one and a half times per every one time. In other words, uh, those companies' stock price go Mm -hmm. up every 150% for every 100% that companies that don't treat their employees as anything other than employees. And the reason why is because those companies that do, that treat their people as people and not just merely as employees, they're looking for ways to make those employees happier, trying to engage them in terms of what new products or services can we offer, what, can, what types of community challenges can we solve. Ultimately, how can we make you more excited about coming into work? And the reason for why their performance is better than companies that don't do that is because those companies have lower employee turnover rates, higher levels of employee morale, and ultimately higher levels of employee engagement as well. Wow, I'm really surprised by that number. Like, I didn't think that it was, it would have like such a, I knew it would have like an impact, but I didn't realize it would have such a large impact. And it does have an impact on, you know, your bottom line. And that's a lot about what, you know, organizations are worried about that bottom line. Are we going to, you know, be in the black this quarter and things like that? So, coming down to it, it's really your employees are what makes you successful. And if you have happy employees and you're addressing all the hats that they wear, there is a valid and real return on investment there. Absolutely, because your employees know you best. Mm-hmm. Your employees know what you do best. Your employees can be able to influence others to buy from you best. Conversely, if your employees are dissatisfied behind the scenes when they're not at the office, they might actually go online and you know riff about how poor this company is, how poorly this company treats its employees. So all of a sudden, you've got you know a decision you have to make as a leader. Do you simply treat your people as employees? and say, gosh, eight to five, nine to five, I've bought your loyalty and you'll just be quiet? Or do I treat you like people realize that, you know what, you've got a life outside of work and the better I make you feel about the company you work with, the more likely it is that you'll influence others to do business with us, give us your best ideas, and ultimately share equally in our success. Right. So how do you kind of go about making this realization as an employer and what kind of what steps can you take to kind of make this change and make this shift from, you know, thinking of your your people as employees to thinking of them as real people with real problems and real issues outside of what they do for you from eight to five or nine to five? Yep. So I'll give two tips. One Mm -hmm. is big picture. One's really pragmatic. Okay. Big picture first cultural change. And that's always a dirty little phrase, right? Mm -hmm. Everything these days sounds like, gosh, it's all about culture. It's all about let's do this, let's do that differently. The frustrating truth is that, um, you know, even if you're an optimistic employee, without having that top level of senior leadership dedicated to and bought into the concept of you're not just an employee, you're a holistic person, Mm-hmm. It's going to be really difficult for your company to make that to make that switch. My argument, though, and I share this with many of my clients, is that because of that 150 percent to 100 percent ratio in terms of stock price performance, mm-hmm. whether you treat your employees as people or as employees, there's financial benefit to go through the cultural disruption of cultural change. Really pragmatic tip for companies: 
is stop thinking about employee engagement surveys as employee engagement surveys. Mm -hmm. Really subtle. Start thinking about them in terms of person or human engagement surveys. Ask more questions than just, gosh, how happy are you working with us? Ask questions like, are we as an organization using our resources in a way that best satisfy your needs throughout every aspect of your life? Subtle changes to the surveys will give you dramatic insights and dramatic results. I like how you call it, you called it a human engagement survey, and that's a lot different from an employee engagement survey. From you know the user end, when you hear employee engagement survey, you're just like, oh, great. But if you call it something else, human engagement, or you just kind of tweet a little bit, it may open you up a little bit more to hear more of the real truths behind what's going on on your floor. Because as a manager, you might not know what's going on out on the floor. Sometimes it can get filtered. As an, a manager or as a, an organization, you've done your employee survey and you've kind of figured out that you have a problem and you, you need to change your culture. How do you kind of address that with your senior leadership to get everyone to buy into this and be on the same page? Yeah, you know, sometimes that's a very difficult question, right? Because mm-hmm. if senior leadership doesn't buy in, regardless of anything else, it's going to be really difficult to make change happen. So uh, at the risk of sounding self-serving, which is not my intent, mm-hmm. what I've found traditionally is senior leadership teams that realize that their stock performance is lagging their peers and they suspect part of the problem may be that they're treating their employees as employees instead of people, benefit from getting an external voice a consultant, an academic, somebody who's done research in this field, Mm -hmm. to come on in, give an objective perspective of why it is that you want to make this subtle but powerful shift from thinking of employees as employees to thinking of them as humans. I've done that multiple times with great results. I know other people who have as well. So that's one piece. But there's a second piece I want to pick up on as well, which is let's say your company has in fact committed to doing this cultural change, Mm -hmm. cherish a person, not just hire an employee. You've done this human engagement survey. Now what? What do you do next? Right. right. So what? And the so what in this particular case is that I find, and I found uh, with some of my clients, what you do is you next put together a cross-functional committee. And committees, we all hear that word and say yawn. Nobody wants mm-hmm. to be part of a committee. And nobody does. Nobody's raising their hand saying, hey, I'll, I'll dedicate two hours a week to being on a committee. Right. In um, addition to my normal job and responsibilities and tasks, I'll give you another two hours. Uh, of course. Plus, you're not going to pay me for it anyway. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I want to be part of a frustrating thing like that. Right. But here's the, here's the dirty little secret. It's really interesting. Is that some companies that I've worked with, some really big companies and some smaller ones as well, have actually gone ahead, set up a cross-functional committee and have said to their employees, look, In return for participating, we can't compensate you more. It's not part of the annual performance review process. But what this committee is going to do is it's going to give you a direct voice right to the Mm C-suite to tell us how do we actually take the insights from this human engagement survey and really execute them. So what you're getting is not compensation, but true access to the C-suite, something you may not otherwise be able to get. That's the little carrot that I've seen help employees get over that hump of, yeah, I want to spend two more hours and not be paid for it too. Hey, wait a second. I'm getting visibility to the C-suite and I can really make a difference in my company. I'm mm-hmm. willing to take a chance. Mm-hmm. So you kind of, you gave us the so what. So could you give us an, um, you know, an example of a company that you've maybe guided through this or someone, another company that you've seen make this change? What happened to them? And, you know, a year later, two years later, what kind of results are they seeing um, on a larger scale? 
So unfortunately, I can't name the company because I'm under a non-disclosure agreement. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you it's a massive financial services firm. Everybody's heard of. We all know this company. U.S.-based. I came in three years ago. I gave a talk very similar to this, although it wasn't quite as refined yet. And I said uh, to, at the time, I think it was the COL, look, you've got high levels of employee engagement scores. You've got high levels of employee turnover. You've got a problem. Something's mm-hmm. incongruous. Something doesn't match up here. So let's talk it through. We got to the point where we came to realize hey, the problem here is that we're, we're simply just treating our employees as people who want to make as much money as possible, not treating them as people who have any other concerns. Let's shift that a little bit. Let's pivot a little bit toward what other concerns do our employees have? What other interests do our people behind the employees have? Long story short, they actually went through this entire process that we explained, brought me in to talk with the C-suite. The C-suite became convinced that, hey, this is worth a try, this, this being the shift from employee to, to human. Um, we created a human engagement survey. That human engagement survey led to some really surprising results. One in particular was that there were a number of employees, quote unquote, mm-hmm. who had great ideas for products, but they didn't know what to do with these ideas for new products. They didn't know where to go. And so we actually created a committee whose sole purpose was to explore these new product ideas and then find ways to tie employee or personal um, compensation and, and benefits to being able to actually provide these great new product ideas. Mm-hmm. Bottom line is this. That company over the last 18 months has experienced over $50 million, $50 million in new product revenue generated simply by asking their employees as consumers, what products would you want to buy from us? And what new products can we offer? And what price points would, be, would you be interested in? That $50 million translated into $20 million of free incremental cash flow directly to the bottom line. Wow. I, I wouldn't mind $20 million. Who wouldn't mind $20 million? And this isn't $20 million that takes 10 years of investment to get. This is $20 million of free incremental cash flow, free profitability that comes about by just taking a commonsensical approach to the people who work in your building, seeing them as humans, not just as employees. Right. And, you know, I'm really enjoying the tips that you're sharing in, in um, this example that you gave us, but we are running out of time. So do you have any final tips or pieces of advice that you'd like to share with our listeners about this topic and how they can kind of go about making this change in their organization? No company is too big. No company is too small, too old, or too young to start. Bottom line is, you know, we, we all have our own issues. We all have our own challenges. Start just by being honest to say my performance, my company's performance isn't where, it wants to, where I want it to be quite yet. One of the assumptions I want to explore is what would happen if I changed from an employee focus to a human focus. Take these uh, steps that we've talked about, the human engagement survey, create a cross-functional committee, access direct to the C-suite, you're going to see results. Well, there you have it, everyone. Start by being honest and treat your employees not like employees, but like real people. But that's all the time that we have for today on Management Decisions. So I just want to thank Eric for joining us and sharing his expert advice. We do appreciate it. Katie, I appreciate it. And thank you again for having me on your show today. Well, thank you. Now, to find more employment-related shows, head over to aljanradio.com. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for future shows, send me an email at aljanradio at localjobnetwork.com. And once again, I'm your host, Katie Chesney with Aljan Radio, and I'll see you next time.